the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never, ever, ever been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. We thank them for their sponsorship. All right. When was the last time you said, I'm sorry? And what were you sorry for? Were you sorry because you genuinely hurt someone and you knew it was your fault and it was a much-deserved apology? Or were you sorry because you accidentally didn't reply to an email within a five-minute period of time? There are a range of apologies you can make in this life. Some are worthwhile. Some are unnecessary. And saying you're sorry can be a powerful thing. It can also take away from your power. We're going to discuss that. Plus, this is a mystery, folks. We had two hedgehogs in this house. Each of my kids has a hedgehog. They're both males. They can't mate. We had two hedgehogs. One died. We went on a little trip, came home. We had two hedgehogs again. This is the biggest freaking weirdest story I've experienced. Uh, this is weird. And I'm going to tell it to you. Both of those things are coming up. And I'm not sorry. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. All right, with a little help from the Wall Street Journal, I'm going to talk to you about apologizing and when it's just kind of going overboard. All right, so this young woman named Rachel, and I'm going to mispronounce her last name. I think it's Feintzig. Uh, I appreciate her story. And I'm going to read it to you and comment because this is really worthwhile. When I first started my sports career and I was working at CBS Sports, I was so green and I would apologize a lot. I'd say, oh, okay, sorry. You know, hey, could you, we do this read again? Okay, sorry. Could you just um, move your jacket a little bit? Oh, yeah, sorry. That's not when you should say sorry. And when you keep doing that, and like a lot of people these days are finding themselves having to say sorry for things they shouldn't be sorry for, it cuts away at your your inner power, right? Your inner strength. I, I believe this. So here's this article. She says, sorry, I'm just now seeing your email. You sent it 15 minutes ago. Sorry that you completely misinterpreted the thing that I said. Sorry you just rammed into me with your grocery store cart. The apology is running amok in conversations and communications. We drop it indiscriminately, crying mea culpa for all manner of things we really shouldn't be sorry for and diluting the apologies that truly matter. Is it time to stop? Could we even cut back if we wanted to? 
the example she gives there. Now this is me again. Sorry, I'm just now seeing your email. We do. We say sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't call you back. What does that mean about the real apologies? The stuff you really want to be sorry for. I'm sorry, mom, about the hundred-year-old vase that or vase that I just broke in the entry hallway. I'm really sorry about that. I know it was your grandmother's, and I'm sorry. There, there's something to be sorry for. That's legitimately, you know, because you're sorry that you this unfortunate thing happened. You're sorry because you know your mom's going to be sad. You're sorry because it's just a, it's an unfortunate accident, right? But I'm sorry just now seeing your email. Sorry you just misinterpreted me. That's a big one. For example, all these broadcasters who say things on the air and then they have to apologize five minutes later because it may have offended someone. It may have offended someone. So it's their responsibility now to apologize for saying something that may have offended someone rather than saying to the people out there, if you're offended, maybe ask yourself why. Now, some of these offensive things you might really be sorry for. That's legit, but we're apologizing way too much. Let me go back to Jessica's article. Quote, I wasn't really that sorry, admits Louise Julig, a freelance writer in Encinitas, California, who found she was constantly apologizing for the delay when replying to notes, even when there wasn't much of a delay at all. Why am I saying this? I don't know, she asks. Going back to the writer now. Sorry has lost its meaning, she realized. No longer a heartfelt declaration of remorse, but a knee-jerk response. Aren't they all these days? Now faced with the blinking cursor of a blank email, Ms. Julig asks herself, did I legitimately miss something or mess someone else up? If the answer is no, she's not sorry. I think when you say you're sorry, you admit that you've done something wrong. Whether you really feel that way or not doesn't matter. What you're communicating to the other person on the end of the apology is, I screwed up. I did something wrong. I'm sorry. My fault. My bad. You're, you're good. And I've now kind of given you this little trump card to hold over me in case you need something to hold over me later. It's like, it's almost like a scoreboard, these apologies. Here uh, is Jeffrey Pfeiffer, a professional, a professor of organizational behavior at Stanford Graduate School of Business and author of a book about commanding authority at work. He says, don't give away your power. Apologizing in business, especially when you've actually done something wrong, is just, oh, excuse me, apologizing in business, especially when you've actually done something wrong, is just ask, asking for trouble, he says. People are never satisfied with an apology, he adds. Groveling and exhibiting vulnerability only make you look weak and sink team morale. Think about some of the apologies. There was a guy who was a host on some dating show, and he apologized for something he didn't even do. He felt like he normalized some sort of behavior. He apologized. He got fired. I wish I had better specifics uh, uh, about that. But you can think about all the... Ba was it The Bachelorette, John? Here's my producer, John so. Berg, chiming in. Bachelorette. Bachelorette. Yeah. And, and wasn't it one of the gals had been to a party that was an antebellum theme party 
That's exactly what it was. And right, he tried John? to get everybody to go to get everybody to go easy on her, like, hey, let's have some grace here. And he got the boot. And I believe that was his own show, and he might have been one of the main producers on that show. I'll dig not his name enough. up for the break. Not not good enough. Not good enough. He apologized. And he really didn't need to apologize because all he was asking for was this gal had gone to this party. Now everyone determined she was a racist for having gone to a theme party some 10 years ago or whatever. And he said, hey, let's give her some extend her some grace. Let's he got fired. This is the kind of thing I'm so glad you remembered that, John, because this is the kind of thing that we're apologizing just makes you weak. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. There was a, an event that happened on Sunday Night Football when I was there. Chris Collinsworth, our amazing, wonderful analyst, said something about some women that he had met in Pittsburgh at a restaurant. And he had gone in to pick up some food, and he said, and he said on the air, these women knew so much about football. It was so cool. I was talking to them. Okay, fine. He was extending a compliment. But you know what? That wasn't good enough for some of the female sports writers out there in the universe who decided that what Chris said was sexist. What, like women aren't supposed to know football? Now, I've worked with Chris for many, many, many years, over a decade. The man is not sexist. Just meet his wife and you'll know. And his two amazing daughters, both of whom were athletes, both of whom are incredible individuals. Chris Collinsworth is not sexist. The fact that he told a little anecdote that he went in to a restaurant to pick up food. The two women who were giving him his food knew so much about football and they talked and talked about football and he was impressed and they happened to be women. So within 24 hours, he was asked to apologize for that comment. And I begged him not to. I said, Chris, all we're doing is feeding the beast. It will never be good enough. And once you apologize, by the way, like this, this Stanford professor has said, now you've got to apologize more and more because now they've got you sitting, taking a step back. Oh, sorry. I offended you. I, I guess I said something about women knowing, knowing their sports and that was offensive. Now they're waiting for the next thing for you to say that you can apologize for because they got you to do it once and they want you to do it again and again and again. And why is that? It gives them a sense of power. I don't know what people enjoy about that. I really don't. But that is why I encourage people to think long and hard before they apologize for a comment like that. I was so angry about that whole episode because, again, we are feeding this, this beast, this cancel culture beast of 
you need to apologize for something you did 25 years ago or said 25 minutes ago that really was pretty harmless. Let's go back to this Wall Street Journal article. Standing your ground comes with risks, he allows. You'll piss some people off. You might not be liked. He thinks it's worth it. So do I. That's why I'm always talking about courage and being brave. She's quoting the author again. You can either conform to what people want you to be, or you can decide that you are going to risk offending people, he says. Life is about trade-offs. Thank you. All right, going back to the author of this piece. When I searched my sent emails for the phrase, sorry for the delay, the result was too many hits for Gmail to give me the exact account. Think about that. And you know what? I'm raising my hand right now for those of you that can't see me. Guilty as charged. If we're a little bit late in our response, we always apologize. But generally we say, sorry, this is overdue. I've been so busy. Why not just drop the sorry? How about just, I've been busy. I'm just now getting back to your email. What about that? That comes, that's a, a much stronger position from which to begin your email. The author of the story says, I tried in the course of reporting this column to cut back on my apologies. Mostly I failed, catching myself exclaiming, sorry, when dialing in three minutes late for a call. A person I contacted for this piece apologized for only being available one of the days I suggested we chat and not the other. I flash back to a clip of Taylor Swift in which she apologizes for getting on her soapbox about misogyny, then quickly catches herself. We're like, sorry, was I loud? The pop star says in Miss Americana, the Netflix documentary, in my own house that I bought with the songs that I wrote about my own life. Words have consequences, says this column. Always feeling like you need to say sorry makes you kind of feel like crap, says Jen Fisher, the chief well-being officer for Deloitte. Last year, she logged her own apologies, flagging the ones that felt unnecessary and replacing them with expressions of gratitude. Have to move a meeting? Try, I appreciate your flexibility, or I'm grateful for your understanding, she says. Remember that it's not your responsibility to apologize for things out of your control, such as the weather or a client moving a deadline. Putting sorry on loop waters down the moments when you really do need to show remorse, she adds. And of course, people often wield sorry to mean exactly the opposite, meaning a more passive aggressive insult than real contrition. Shedding sorry can be empowering. Hannah Zabo grew up in Wisconsin, where, as in much of the Midwest, Canada, and other regions, sorry sometimes serves as a conversation starter. She would drop one in during a pause in a conversation or when she felt uncomfortable. Then she moved to Brazil. She was shocked to find that the students she was teaching barely apologized. At first, she was offended. Now, she basks in a culture without reflexive apologies. Back in the Midwest, on a recent trip, she almost grew angry when her mother apologized for accidentally sticking her seatbelt in the wrong buckle. That does not qualify for a sorry, Mom, she told her. Take that back. This gets interesting about genders, too. 
Women apologize more than men, but female co-workers apology doesn't necessarily mean she's claiming blame, says Deborah Tannen, a linguistics professor at Georgetown University. She might just be trying to get her work done with a dose of graciousness. For example, smoothing over a misunderstanding with, sorry, what I meant was. Everything we're doing on some level, trying to show we're a good person at the same time that we're trying to accomplish something, Dr. Tannen says. It's it's so true, and we give away little bits of power in so many things, but we start to overuse words. The one word that's being overused lately is perfect. Notice this, and I'm sorry to do this to you, because from now on, you're going to notice it for the rest of time. You go to buy something at a store. Will that be cash or credit card? Oh, credit card. Perfect. And do you want paper or plastic? Paper, please. Perfect. And would you sign right here for me? Great. That, that, perfect. Notice it. When I was growing up, it was awesome. Everything is awesome. And then it became amazing. And now it's perfect. But I digress. That's a little side joke. That's just the, the, the w- it, perfect. Paper or plastic? I use paper. That's perfect. That's not even what the word is designed for, right? But we're overusing it just like we're overusing apologies. Okay. Back to the Wall Street Journal. When I message, so sorry to bug you to my boss before asking a question that's a necessary part of both of our jobs. I'm showing respect for power differentials at the office, Dr. Tannen notes. Still, some misrepresent women's apologies as incompetence. When British leader Liz Truss last week apologized, quote, for the mistakes in pushing a risky tax plan, it was met with calls to resign. A few days later, she did. Think about that. Be aware of how others respond when you use words of contrition, Dr. Tannen cautions. If colleagues call out your apologizing, you might explain that you were just saying you were sorry a thing happened and not sorry, sorry. If you hear that feedback often, consider an audit like Ms. Fisher's that we mentioned above. I used to do, I swear, when I first started CBS Sports, I apologized for every little thing because I felt like I was the newbie, the rookie. Everyone else was smarter, better, prettier, you know, more intelligent. I was just a peon. And so I apologized for everything. Finally, someone said to me, stop apologizing. And that was the first time. I was made aware of it. All right, back to the article. Kingston Vickers tried. After moving to Texas years ago, the native Canadian resolved to remove the eh and sorry from his vocabulary. Doing so consumed so much mental effort that he grew flustered when talking and wasn't as effective at his sales job. Now he embraces his proclivity for for apologies and says his work has benefited. Apologizing for his client's struggles or when he's about to make an ask of them builds trust, he says. It's also a way of showing empathy. Quote, people underestimate the power of a kind word nowadays, he adds. Well, this is a really interesting topic, but I would go along with this, that the more you apologize, the more you're giving up your power. And when you apologize for something that you value, hey, man, I'm sorry, but I'm pro-life. Why are you sorry about that? Hey, man, I'm sorry, but I think we should fund the police, not defund the police. And you're sorry. Why? You tweet something out like, 
All Lives Matter, which I mistakenly once did. Oh my gosh, I spent the next three hours of my night cleaning that mess up and apologizing. For what? Again, some apologies are necessary and right, but just think about it first. I think this column is really timely and it's really important that we don't just apologize for every little thing that we do. You end up tipping the balance of power, not in your favor. And you end up giving away a lot of what you value. I just liked this column and I wanted to share it with you. Okay, here's something I am not sorry for. I am not sorry for the story I'm about to tell you that is one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to our family. I'm, I'm, I can't explain it. Maybe you'll have a theory and you can reach out to me on social, like at Twitter at Michelle underscore Tafoya, or I think it's dash Tafoya. Either way, you can find it. Reach out to me and tell me if you have an explanation for this hedgehog mystery I'm going to tell you. We had two hedgehogs. Then we had one. Then apparently we had three. I'm going to tell you this story. It is the weirdest thing that's happened to us. And I can't find an explanation. And I hope that you can help me. That is next. Okay. The word of the day is money. <laughs> it's what we're all talking about, right? The economy, inflation, gas prices, you name it. Even, even when it comes to funding the police, all of this stuff requires money and you need money. <laughs> That's not, not news, right? So here's the thing. You've got your short-term needs and your long-term needs. In the short term, we're really hurting with the gas prices the way they are. And now your winter costs of, of heating your home are going to, I hate to break it to you if you haven't seen it already, they're going to be bad. But then there's the long-term too. You have to look past this week, this month, this year, and look ahead to what you're planning for in the long term. And that's where precious metals comes in. And that's where legacy precious metals comes in. This is a group of people that I trust when I'm investing in gold and silver. A lot of people are comparing this time right now to 2008, which was no fun. And if you remember in 2008, those who invested in gold saw really big gains. And others, oh, they lost their retirements. So maybe the sooner you make this call to legacy precious metals, the more comfortable, the more safe you're going to feel. I'll give you the number and the website, because if you go to their website, there's a an investor's guide. It's free to download. You can check it out. The number is 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903. Call my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. Get all your questions asked and answered, right? And then download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. Find out how gold and silver can fit into your retirement. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Okay. During COVID, while other people were getting dogs, we got hedgehogs. Our, our kids really wanted pets. And fish just weren't doing it for them. So there was a hedgehog farm in Minnesota that we found, and we decided to get baby hedgehogs. We brought home two males. In Minnesota, you can't bring home a male and a female because you've got to be licensed to breed hedgehogs if you want to have a male and a female. We weren't thinking about breeding the hedgehogs. We just wanted the kids to be happy. So we brought home two male hedgehogs. 
My son named his Doug. D-O-U-G. My daughter named hers Bruno. They were very opposite. You can't put them in the same cage because they'll fight to the death. So they each had a cage in their room. And for the last two years, things have been just honky-dory. You know, you have your hedgehog issues here and there. But these cages that they're in, they're really kind of low, but hedgehogs can't climb or jump or get out of these. But the other day, my son said, whoa, mom, Doug, his hedgehog, is in my closet. How did Doug get out of the cage? We didn't know. We had no clue. But we scooped Doug up and we put him back. And Doug was the angry bitter of the two hedgehogs. Yes, I'm telling you, he was bitter and ungrateful. Whereas Bruno, my daughter, just could hold him anytime she wanted. He would nestle in a blanket next to her when she was studying. I mean, it was, they were totally opposite. So we weren't going to necessarily miss Doug if he died, but we weren't quite ready for it when it happened. It happened the day we were leaving for a trip. And we were going to go from our house to the airport, pick up our son along the way. So he wasn't with us at the time that we discovered that Doug had died. And what was strange about Doug's death was that lately he had been more active. He had been a little more social. He had gotten out of the cage once, as I mentioned. He even went nose to nose with our new dog right at the side of his cage. This was unusual for Doug. So we're getting ready to leave. Our son is not home. I said to my daughter, please check on Doug. Make sure he has water and food. She comes running out of the room and says, Mom, I think Doug's dead. Really? Wouldn't be surprising. My son doesn't know how to take care of anything. I go back in there with him. I try to rouse Doug. He's in this little sort of cloth uh, cave that our hedgehogs have often in their cages that are made for this purpose. I'm shaking around. He's not moving. So I asked my husband to do the dirty deed and come get him out of this thing and throw him away. My husband comes up, he gets Doug out of this little thing, puts him in a plastic bag, ties a knot into the top of the plastic bag and goes out and puts it in the garbage can, which we promptly move to the curbside because the garbage was being picked up the next day. These are all important details you'll come to find out in just a moment. So I let our house sitter know, hey, Doug died. Bruno is still alive. Check on Bruno, but you don't have to worry about Doug. We go, we're on our way to the airport. We pick up our son and we tell him, hey, Doug is dead. I'm sorry. And he goes, no, he's not. Yes, he is, honey. He died. What? He was just so lively. Honey, we're sorry. He's dead. We took him out. We put him in the garbage. There's a little bit of silence. He's a little sad, but he's okay. All right. We go off, we have a few days as a family looking at colleges for my son and we come home and everything's status quo. The dog has survived with our house sitter. She's had no issues. She's nothing unusual to report. Okay, cool. After about a half hour of being at home and, you know, bringing the cases in and all the rest, I walk upstairs to the bathroom my husband and I share. And I walk in and I stop dead in my tracks, pun kind of intended, because there on the floor in a corner of the bathroom is a hedgehog. And it looks very much in trouble. 
Like it's not lying in a little ball like hedgehogs normally do. It's lying on its side looking distressed. So I think this must be Bruno, the other hedgehog. How did he get out? Call my daughter. Hey, check to see where Bruno is because I think he's here on the floor. She comes walking in holding Bruno. No, he's in his cage. I've got him right here. He was in his cage. Okay. If Doug is dead and we threw him in the garbage in a tied up sack and put it on the curb and you're holding Bruno, who the hell is this hedgehog? And where did it come from? And why does it look like it's dying on the floor when we just threw another dead one away and we only had two? Call everybody into the, my daughter's like, what is going on? She's holding her hedgehog. She knows she found the other one dead. She knows it's gone and thrown away and been picked up by the garbage people. My husband comes up. He's like, what the, my son comes up. He's like, what the, but he identifies it. That is Doug. We pick up Doug, we put him in the cage, and we all stand there baffled. Now, Doug is in distress. He won't go to eat his food or water. He's just sort of laying there, if in fact this is Doug, though we thought we threw Doug away. Okay, so two questions. What the hell did we throw away if it wasn't a dead hedgehog? And you had three mature people identify a dead hedgehog that we had known for two years. And we had the, my husband throw him away in a plastic bag that had a knot tied in it and thrown into the garbage and the garbage put to the curbside. I'm going to first just throw it out to my producer, John Berg, who you hear his voice. You don't often see his face. John, do you have any theory about what the hell happened? No, this reminds me of the Revenant, <laughs> where he's right? left for dead, where he's left for dead in the garbage can or the wilderness, and makes a miraculous come. I've, that's baffling. They're not asexual; they can't just produce themselves. They can't. That doesn't make any sense. Did they screw up in the? How did? How? I, this doesn't make any sense. And how did he live for a weekend in the bathroom on the floor? I, I, I don't. All of these are legitimate questions, none of which I have an answer for. I'm we an had, experienced owner of pets, and that does not make any sense whatsoever. Not not a lick. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's like a hedgehog miracle, but it's also a mystery because it's we threw away Raptons. a dead hedgehog. We only had two, and then we came back, and we still had two. How does this happen? The math doesn't add up. I don't know. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a hedgehog <laughs> he's miracle. He's the miracle. He's the miracle hedgehog. <laughs> if he lives. Uh, I mean, the, I, for so, you know, I've thrown this story out at a couple friends. None of us have an answer. So if you got one, find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And please tell me what you think, because I, I am baffled, and it's a little scary and spooky. And you had a family of four of us staring at each other last night saying, is this the weirdest thing that's ever happened? And yeah, it kind of is. Sounds like Doug has unfinished business. <laughs> Take care of that hedgehog. <laughs> Holy crap. I, 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 anyway, that is my hedgehog story, and I'm sticking to it. It did happen in exactly the fashion I've just detailed. How did we go from two hedgehogs 
to one living, one, one living, one dead, back to two living. Okay, that's my hedgehog story. This has been Sideline Sanity. That's a bit of insanity. Uh, be brave, <laughs> especially when approaching a hedgehog. Do good when you find an ailing hedgehog. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> that is a true story, John. Well, Sideline Sanity, we are very proud to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals, and we're joined by Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. Charles, we are hearing now that this is not transitional inflation. This is not a bump in the road. This inflation is going to be here a while. What, what, does, that, what does that tell you? You know, that's the scary thing. Um, I think, you know, economies and, and, and such like that, they can deal with small jars. We have a unique situation. We had a Fed that waited much too long to react to the situation, calling inflation transitory for a year when everyone knew it wasn't. But more importantly than that, coming out now saying this is going to be here. This is long term. This is not short term. We're going to have elevated rates for the long term. And why that gets really scary is that means the cost of doing business is going to be elevated for years, which means the cost of goods are going to be elevated for years, which means if companies can't make enough money, they will go out of business. This is why we, we hear some of your bigger companies are already talking about layoffs. So it's a unique situation. The Fed found themselves in a very bad place. And they reacted way too slow. And this is why we're at where we're at. So if I'm an investor, then what's why do I want gold and silver in my portfolio? What what will that do for me? You know, that, that's a great question. And that's a question we get a lot. And and really what gold and silver do, um, they act as the hedge against the dollar weakness. They act as a hedge against the other markets. And we know that the Dow and all of your markets, all your indices are, are, are pulling back, right? That's not the issue. It's not what's already happened. It's what's yet to come. And that's where we, we need to prepare. So depending on who you listen to and, and the research that you do, you know, there are case studies are saying expect to see another 25, 20 to 25% pullback in your equities markets based on interest rates and loans and, and the bond markets they're suffering as well. No one's going out to buy bonds knowing that they're going to be um, an increased return on them in three months. It makes no sense. So that leaves you in a position of what to do with your money and how to protect yourself. This is where gold and silver come in. This is why we say this is a long-term play. You buy it. You forget about it. Let it do its, its job. And its job is to go up over time as the dollar gets weaker, as the purchasing power gets less, gold and silver increase. It protects that purchasing power. And that's the great thing about it. And there's your bottom line and why you need to call Legacy Precious Metals or go download their investor's guide at LegacyPreciousMetals.com. Charles, it's always good to talk to you because these are nerve wracking times for people. You know, it, it's just the fact of the matter is, as we were told by the, the Fed chair, there's going to be some pain. 
So if people know that they've got something solid sitting in their investment portfolio, I think they're going to feel a little bit better, right? Absolutely. And we, you know, when we look at the actions that have happened just recently, I mean, the Fed has taken a very unique stance and they've done something very um, extraordinary. Three quarters of a basis points raises months in a row. That's one of the largest raises you've ever seen in the Fed through the history of the Fed. And it's not just once. One time is shocking. Here we are on the third month now. And we'll probably do another half a half a basis point next month or, or later this month, possibly even three quarters of a point. So when you look at that and you say that number is going to grow to where the Fed interest rates will be about 5%, unheard of. That means the interest rate to you and I, if that's what banks pay to borrow money, we're going to see, you know, credit cards will probably be over 28, 30% again. You're going to see home loans coming in 9, 10, possibly even 11%. And it's it's a scary time. And this is why we say, okay, know this coming. Don't be afraid. You You now are aware. So now you can protect yourself. And that's what we help people do. Don't be afraid. Prepare. Just prepare yourself. And like I say every day, I trust Legacy Precious Metals when it comes to investing in gold and silver. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles and his group can answer any and all of your questions. Charles, thank you so much. My pleasure as always. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.